hey, it's the summer and we're not going to be doing podcasts every single week because it's the summer. So if you want to know when there is a new podcast, please, well, you can either just subscribe to the podcast and like a podcast subscriber, you get all the new ones or follow at Stack Podcast on the Twitters and we'll let you know when there are new episodes over the summer. Thanks. Oh, I want to get the doorbell. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Did we get a doorbell installed? Because I don't know that we need a doorbell, but it makes a noise, which, okay. Probably just shouldn't have reacted because it could have been edited out. <laughs> I was going to say the only. Uh, <laughs> I think I kind of scared this us a hot little live bit, doorbell action going on. <laughs> See how cool I played at that time? Wow. You're going to have to fix that because we cannot have that happening yeah. every single time somebody joins the Zoom room. Wow. Why don't we just welcome everyone? Hi, Hervasio. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? <laughs> This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 114, recorded Thursday, July 27th, 2017, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York City, where more than 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy, and home to the artsy, hip enclave known as the Williamsburg Neighborhood in Brooklyn, where longtime locals are all gone, having been replaced by ironically dressed 20-somethings <laughs> with old-timey bartender mustaches, sitting outside cafes and writing essays about artisanal Play-Doh. On typewriters. <laughs> Remember, if someone describes their style as authentic, they're actually a hipster. If they describe themselves as a hipster, they're 100% a cop. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Stack Overflow Jobs, the only job site that puts developers first. No spam, no fake job listings. Find somewhere you can build something awesome today on stackoverflow.com slash jobs. And the English language, featuring the secret but mandatory correct ordering of English adjectives. Remember, it's always opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, and only then noun. All red-blooded Americans can appreciate a delicious, big, fresh, red New England pie bacon apple. But anyone talking about a New England fresh pie bacon big apple is either part of an ISIS sleeper cell or a Cold War era Soviet spy. Don't recall where the adjectives go? Just remember, Osasco. <laughs> On today's podcast, we have our usual crew, Florida man and CTO, David Fullerton. Hello. Producer, Jess Pardue. Hello. News editor, Ilana Yitsaki. Hello, everyone. And joining the regular gang in the studio today, we also have developer, data team lead, and Barry White voice double, our very own Kevin Montrose. Hello. <laughs> and, and special guest Saran Yutbarak, developer and founder of Code Newbie, the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. Saran also produces the Codeland Tech Conference and hosts the Code Newbie podcast, available on probably whatever platform you're listening to this on. Welcome, Saran. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. It is. Joel Spolsky is still gallivanting the globe with Uncle Traveling Matt. So I'm your host, Jay Hanlon, VP and General Manager of Stack Overflow, Crimson Guard Squad Leader, and Assistant to the Cobra Commander. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. I knew you. you were part of Cobra. Yeah. My favorite uniform of all the G.I. Joe figures it. was the Baroness. She had by far I the coolest outfits. So I wanted to be in Cobra. I stuff. knew it all along. We digress. So how's everybody doing? Doing good. How are you, Jay? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. Of Oftentimes, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares, Jay. I know. I, the... I was just being politely quiet. Joel. No, he didn't pretend to care even. In any case, now that the pleasantries are out of the way and no one cares about my feelings, just like junior high school, it sounds like it's time for a rant. Kevin, did you bring us a rant today? I did bring a rant. It's a little different from some prior rants. I'm going to be ranting about <laughs> myself. And mistakes mm. I have made <laughs> wow. in my capacity as an employee here. Oh, this is going to take forever. It you know, is. I it feel really like is. You really took the advice of great philosopher Michael Jackson, who said, start by looking at the man in the mirror to make a change. <laughs> this is inspiring, Kevin. All right, let's hear it. Let's all hear right. the rant. So here is just a sampling of all the things that I have allowed to go wrong, done wrong, been present when they've gone wrong, and should have spoken up about just how we collect data here. Hopefully this is a warning to everybody else, hmm. all of our listeners. So only storing IPs instead of locations. This bites us a ton. IPs move only storing countries instead of locations because we always care about something besides a country. Only allocate enough space for IPv4 addresses mm. <laughs> because IPv6 has been coming for 20 years. 
<laughs> not saving historical data because why would you ever want historical data except you know to audit or wonder why why anything <laughs> not just using sql server not just using fredis <laughs> not just scaling up <sighs> not just using r <laughs> every time i go off and make some new like i'll analyze this myself just use r it's already there not keeping our traffic logs in a queryable form. 20 gigs of traffic logs that you can't ask any questions of. Not super useful. Not including user identifiers in logs. Including four kinds of user identifiers in logs. Including four kinds of user identifiers in logs, but only in three fields. Well, you never know which one you're going to need. So. Exactly. Not verifying emails we store. What do you do with an unverified email besides look at it? <laughs> Having so many different email fields that I have lost count and I found a new one half an hour ago. <laughs> Having half a dozen different analytics formats we have to deal with whenever you look at something. And mm. most recently, probably not firing Punyon for that bananas tweet. What the hell? <laughs> All things I've done wrong. Please do not repeat my mistakes, but many of you will. Well, I think pretty much everybody can relate to each and every one of those. And that was just this week, right? That was what I could think of just off the top of my head. <laughs> my personal non-punion firing related of those was simply the moment where you said, why, why everything? It, the whole thing was like a data team version of like a Nietzsche Seinfeld observational comedy routine. Thank you for that rant and not challenging the basic philosophy of the rant, like our last guest ranter who will <laughs> never be invited back. So we need He's another trying to stay person. positive. He was, he was. And that is undermining the purpose of the yeah. rant. We challenge the premise. That's what we do here. That was a very impromptu failure is always an option segment. That's true. Oh, so, that's good, yeah. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin, for allowing your failures to inspire others to fail in slightly different ways. It really is. That's, that's a pretty good summary, I feel, of my professional career, just inspiring others to fail. <laughs> Get that on a business card. Beautiful. Which brings us, I think, to a one-minute tech review. David, do you have any technology yes. you'd like to share your opinions on with our audience? I do. I have a new piece of technology. I bought a Kindle Voyage on Prime Day because it was on sale. I upgraded from a Kindle Paperwhite, and there's no reason to upgrade. That's your review. My review is, this is really more about market segmentation and having an excuse to charge a higher price point to people who are willing to pay more than about any actual features in the product. So wait, what does the Voyage claim yeah. to do differently? The features over the Voyage are it has buttons, physical buttons, which is nice, so like but the not that great. Original wait, it has a, instead of like, like touch, just reading like your mind. Oh. Instead of the touch screen. It does still have the touch screen, but it's got the buttons. That's the only feature that actually matters. The other ones are it's got a little tiny light sensor that annoyingly dynamically adjusts the brightness based on if you accidentally turned it towards a lamp in the room and then it decides it needs oh, to be like super bright. Does. Yes, auto brightness yep. always sucks. Yep. Nothing should have it and it should be disabled everywhere. It's kind of not a good feature. It has a glass screen instead of plastic. So it can break. Which is not any better. It is heavier. Yep. Industrial Just glass it's probably doesn't crack. break. And that's it. It's like a slightly different shape and nothing else. So, you know what I don't like? I don't like when a branding line has some items that seem to be attempting to be descriptive or indicative of their differentiating features, and others seem like random words that no one had copyrighted yet. Like Paperwhite <laughs> suggests to me a certain type of Kindle with a certain I, feature set. I really think, yes. And Voyager is like, oh, Star Trek doesn't own that? Let's use that. Amazon's got a really good basic e-reader. And then a slightly upgraded version, which is the Piper White. And then everything after that, I'm convinced, is just because some people want to spend more money. Mm. And so they offer a voyage and add one or two meaningless features. And then they've got like the Oasis, which is another $100 for even less impressive, more features. So save your money, folks. Get a Paper White. In general, highly recommend my Kindle. I love my Kindle. I'm one of those authentic readers that really likes books. So all I heard was I'm a hipster when you said that. So. No, I, I believe you are inauthentic. Well, I'm definitely not a cop, so. Inauthentic. Listen, I went back and tried to read a real book a few months ago. And annoyingly, anytime there was a word that I wasn't quite sure what it meant and I tried to touch it to get the definition, the book just lay there, didn't do anything. <laughs> I couldn't look down at the bottom to see how many minutes I had left till the end of the chapter to know if I should keep reading or just call it quits and go to sleep then. Like major features were missing from 
that just seem like they should be in regular books. That I don't know. I what just know doing. all I like the words. The original. How many trees must die for your nostalgia? All of them. How many? All hmm? of them. Okay. Yeah, they're mostly new growth. <laughs> all right. Well, there's my review. The Kindle Voyage, meh. Kindle Paperweight, excellent. There you go, folks. You can get them today on Amazon.com, probably. I would think. Are you going to go back to your Paperweight? No, no. It had a mark on the screen. And... David's going to give the Paperweight to his alligator and. But all I'm saying is they're basically equivalent. It's not worse than the paperweight. It's just equivalent. So why did I spend extra money for this thing that is no better? Do they even make like a larger form Kindle anymore? No, they gave up on that a hundred years ago. I I love those because those were the Kindles, like the DX or whatever that I would give to my parents. Because Uh, then it's like it's basically whatever the the the, your eyes suck accessibility. Just don't get a nook. No, no. They still sell nooks. Could someone explain this to me? I walked into a Barnes and Noble the other day. Wait, well, hang, on, hold on. hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> exactly. So wait, so go back a little bit. You get out of the DeLorean and you walk <laughs> yeah, into a yeah. Barnes and Noble, and then what happens next? Exactly. <laughs> and then they're selling nooks, and I'm like, I thought Nook died three years ago or four years ago. I feel bad for anybody who buys a nook. Why are they still selling them? I, like I, have, the I haven't worked there in a very something? long time, like... but they put a lot of energy into them when I worked there. So I think they're just oh, I know, but then they wanna... killed, but then they killed the line. I don't understand. Well, they sold how they're part still of it selling. To, them. I think it was oh, they sold Samsung? it off. Did they just like sell the brand and now somebody else is making tablets? Yeah, somebody under else the is making them nook? because they were so bad. Ah, okay, they were okay, awful. Okay. So they sold the business to I think it was Samsung. So they had like Samsung nooks. Which were definitely better, but it's still just like, eh. So, their advice from David is buy the old Kindle, not the new Kindle, and don't buy a Nook because it's the present. With that, we will move on to our developer story. As we mentioned earlier, we are very lucky to have Saran Yitbarak here with us today. Saran, first of all, welcome again. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about how did you first get started as a developer? What was your first experience that kind of got you into writing code? Okay, that's a big question. So my first, 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 first one was many years ago when I tried the, what is it called? The open courseware, the MIT thing. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. heard about my now husband has been in tech for a long time. And I thought, oh, let me try this world out. Let me see what this whole coding thing's about. And I tried to take one of their intro to computer science courses online And now that I'm a developer, it's really funny how badly that attempt was because I didn't understand that you should like code while you're learning to code. Like you should do stuff with the actual computer. So I treated it like I took any other college class. I had my notebook out. I took notes. I had my highlighter. I had my sticky notes. And I just missed the whole part where you should actually try out some of this code and, you know, see what you get back. I just didn't understand that process. And so after I think four lessons of these, you know, online courses, I said, okay, I'm clearly not cut out for this. This is not for me. This is way too hard. It's a whole different way of thinking. Let me just give up on this and, and go back to my life. And then it was two years later when I said, ah, oh, I really want to try this again. I was frustrated at my startup job. I felt like the fact that I didn't have technical skills was really holding me back. And I said, okay, let me give this another go. And this time I found the Flatiron School, which is the boot camp I ended up doing. Awesome. Yeah, they had a pre-work curriculum, which is about 100 hours. And it was basically a compilation of Treehouse, Code School, blog posts, free courses, cheap courses. And this time around, it was made for people like me who didn't understand computer science, didn't, you know, didn't understand how to even begin learning that topic. And that worked out a lot, lot better. So my first real attempt was a total failure, but the second time I stuck with it. That's awesome. We're big fans of the Flatiron School. We partner with them on a couple of things, longtime friends of the company. It's interesting too that like because you came at it the first time, right, with a very normal approach to lots of other things you learned. And I guess if you're not doing it, it's almost like you don't realize, it's almost like you were like reading a book about how to paint, right? Yes, that's, ex- that's exactly <laughs> what it was. And it was so frustrating to me because when I was in college, I graduated with a double degree. I was pre-med. So I'd taken what were, you know, some of the most difficult classes on campus. Like I took biochemistry. I was a biochemistry research fellow and I did orgo. I taught organ and I did orgo. all these things. Yeah, I loved Orgo. So I did all the things that... No one loves Orgo. (laughs) Exactly. 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 So when I took, you know, this stupid loop code crap and I couldn't figure that out, I'm like, well, there must be something just wrong with me that, you know, the person who's teaching people organic chemistry can't even figure this out. So I totally internalized that failure. But I'm Hmm. glad that was a temporary thing. 
Well, I don't know. It's just interesting. We talk so much about imposter syndrome in startups and developers in particular, but it's interesting someone with your background who had like so many reasons to trust their own ability to learn things, right. <laughs> still going through that like, nope, I'm broken in this area. I can't possibly do this. <laughs> yep. It makes exactly. me wonder about the course. I haven't looked at any of the, the courses themselves. I know when I attended school, the intro course was pretty like concept heavy and not a lot learned to code heavy. I thought was That's weird. That's a good point too. Like throwing a bunch of theory at somebody is not clearly the wrong way to yeah. learn programming. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like you know once I many years later when I talked to people about the CS degree and the difference between that and a boot camp and all that, one of the big differences I heard, especially from professors, is that. Even though it says intro to computer science, it's really for people who have already been coding and, you know, it's for the people who've, you know, uh, been tampering with code and building stuff since they were, you know, 12. And then now they're formalizing all of that. And that wasn't me at all. So, you know, even the intro to programming isn't really a, an honest title. Yeah, there's an analogy I've heard before, which is like computer science is like to astronomy as like programming is to making telescopes where it's like eventually like it is useful to formalize and, and all mm -hmm. of that but you don't go into astronomy and they're like well here is you know how to assemble this kit here mm. right? um, they don't introduce you to a screwdriver i think it at least i suspect i don't know about that explain a lot of why those courses wash out so hard well there's a big well i don't know where it's going now but there's definitely this sense it's at a lot of the you know schools that take themselves very seriously that we're not teaching programming we're teaching computer science and it's a science mm. and we're going to teach you the formal logical structures and programming is a little bit beneath us and there was definitely a sense that like the people going they were yeah they were okay understanding that you know well some of the graduates are going on in industry but the ones we really like are the ones who are going on to do a master's degree and the, those like the washouts go and get programming jobs it's such a weird, was, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. This does explain if you crack open an academic code base, you're going to, well, not always. There's some good ones, but there are some real unpleasant <laughs> academic code bases. Not a lot of emphasis put on the actual, like, software. Mm. All right. So yeah. if you want to learn something, go do it. But Saran, back to, back to you now. Let's, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about the present. So tell our listeners who are not familiar, tell them about Code Newbie. The big picture, what do you do? What makes it the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code? Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. So we started when I had my second attempt learning to code, where I learned by myself for a few months. And it was, like I said, a lot of online courses, a lot of just, you know, self-teaching stuff. I spent 10 to 16 hours a day just on my computer at home in my apartment, you know, banging my head against the wall, feeling really, really stupid and really, really frustrated. And then when I decided to apply and got accepted to the Flatiron School and attended that, all of a sudden I had 40, 45 people who were going on that journey with me, who understood all the pain points, who, you know, got the highs and got the lows. And all of a sudden it felt a lot more doable. And I realized yep. that, you know, it wasn't me. It was just the fact that this was a new thing and most new things are hard. And what frustrated me about that is, you know, I feel like one of the biggest values of going to a boot camp is that community. It's that support system. And if you can't afford to spend, for me at the time, I think it was $11,000 for that experience out of pocket, right? Because you can't really get like student loans or anything. Right. It's not accessible to most people. And so I wanted to create a way for people who were learning on their own, who were figuring it out, who were still deciding if they wanted to go to a boot camp. I wanted to provide something for them. And at the time, this was three or four years ago, at the time, Twitter chats were really, really big. I don't see them as much anymore. But I thought, oh, that's a great format. It's social. Anybody can see it. Anybody can join. Sorry, what are Twitter chats? Oh, Twitter chats are amazing. So you pick a <laughs> hashtag uh -huh. and you pick a time and, a, you know, a day. And so for us, it's every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. For one hour, what I would do is under the Code Newbie account, I would pick a topic, a code-related topic. So the theme this week actually was two boot camps recently closed, Dev Bootcamp and the Iron Yard, or they announced that they're going to close. So we wanted to talk about the future of the learn-to-code industry and what that meant for people. So we pick cool. a topic. And I'd write out usually about three to four questions and I'd tweet it out and people would respond using the hashtag. Oh, is this familiar? Yeah. So you're using a hashtag to create a de facto chat room, yep, which eliminates exactly. the need for everyone to like reply to the right person and create some weird Franken yep. thread. 
Oh, cool. Got it. Okay. Exactly. Uh, and it works out really well because like you said, it becomes, you know, it becomes really fragmented in a beautiful way. You know, if you want to kind of go off into your own little conversation, you're welcome to do that. If you want to archive the chat later, you can do that with the hashtag. So it's really, really flexible, very public, very visible. And it was really just an excuse for people to find each other and offer resources and connect with each other. And that's what ended up happening. We had people who ended up getting internships, jobs from just meeting the right people on the chat, people who found out about resources, people who found out about programs to enroll in. So it ended up being really valuable. And so we did that for, I think, about six months. And that's when it became like a very consistent, very real thing where people would look forward to it and they would get upset when they missed it. And so I thought, okay, Twitter chats are a really good way to have these spontaneous conversations. But how do you dig deeper into a person's story? How do you kind of unpack the different layers of someone's journey? And I used to work at NPR, so I thought, podcasting, that's a really great format. Let's do audio stories. So we did the podcast, and we've been doing that for over two years at this point. And then our recent big project was the conference, which is Codeland. Sure. And that was awesome. And it was such a treat for me. I feel like, honestly, I got more out of it than most people did because... Everything I've been doing with CodeNubi is purely online. You know, the Twitter chats yep. are online. The podcast is all virtual. So being able to finally be in a room with all these people who I've been serving for years was just so awesome. You know, you just walk up and you see all these avatars popping up, you know, because they're all humans now. Uh -huh. they're, real, they're real people. So it's been awesome. So it's just really been about listening to the community, finding out what people need, what people want, what they're struggling with, and building solutions and building things to help them learn to code. Awesome. So the conference, this is in April, is that right? Yep, April 21, 22. And you had awesome speakers, kind of, uh, I don't know all the names, but a bunch of people I recognize, a bunch of really cool. And do you think you're going to do another one? Yes, we actually have dates for the next one. So it's May 4 and 5, same place, hosted by Microsoft again in New York City next year. Super awesome. That's great. And so what's the primary way, like right now, are most of folks who follow Code Newbie Renter, are they engaging with the podcast, the chat? Like, What do you see as like the way most people are using it today? That's a good question. So I feel like there are three groups of people. There uh -huh. are people who almost strictly listen to the podcast. That's what they do on their commute. That's what they do when they're going to their regular job that they hope to leave one day. So it's just a really <laughs> good way to kind of get like a little weekly boost of motivation. And as they've told me, it helps them feel like they're not alone in the journey. And then there are people, we also have a Slack community of I think over 10,000 people at this point. And that's probably the most regularly active place where people who need to debug people you know are really stuck on a problem or we actually have a good percentage of folks in our community who are very senior developers who hang out just to give back and see it as an opportunity to make you know the tech community a little bit friendlier a little bit nicer a little bit more inclusive and so they hang out in our slack community just to be available to jump in and help people out and then we have people who are much more comfortable with Twitter and are kind of more social media-ish that way. And so they'll interact with us throughout the week. We actually ended up adding an additional Twitter chat on Sundays, which is more of just a check-in, right? I think it's super, super helpful to just say, you know, these are my goals this week. This is what I plan on doing. This is how last week went as a very loose sense of accountability. If nothing else, having someone to share your wins with, I think is super helpful. So we have that as well. So we have folks who interact across these three, but there are definitely folks who are very comfortable in one of these three channels. Oh, that's super awesome. I like, especially that last piece of that, about the behavior, it's like that shared accountability or mm -hmm. uh, accountability, yep. shared accountability devices, right? Where you basically artificially get people of some sort who are expecting a thing from you, mm -hmm. who have no real power over you, obviously, but it gives you a motivation to yeah. stick to a deadline, to do stuff, to kind of get off your butt. That's great. So I'm, I'm intrigued. We're super excited about learning engines in general, and especially things that help developers learn. And you're serving this area where I think we've always been weaker, right? Which is a newer people. We're really good at like once you get momentum, helping clear hurdles and things. The earliest portion is always an area that we have not really served well. So I'm always fascinated in that zone. How does this actually work at that size? It's interesting. Do, are there like a lot of different rooms? And how does it... Big chats always feel like they, they kind of devolve into chaos to me, but I'm really intrigued because it sounds like it's obviously gelling well. Yeah, the Slack community is interesting because there are lots of channels. That's really the thing. There are lots and lots and lots of channels. So, you know, I think the Slack communities in general work really well for a certain type of personality. For me personally, I don't enjoy them as much because when I see a stream of people who are kind of going back and forth, I feel a little even when it's my own community, I feel a little bit awkward kind of jumping in and cutting in or changing track and that kind of thing. So in a way, it isn't necessarily you know the best format for everyone. But I think the fact that you can have 
private DMs, the fact that you can pull someone aside and say, hey, like I noticed that, you know, you had this question in the main channel that, you know, got interrupted. Do you want to focus a little bit more on it? The fact that you can, you know, do hangouts and video calls spontaneously on Slack makes it really, really helpful. We have people who organize in-person stuff, just, you know, just impromptu, hey, I'm going to get coffee or go to this conference this weekend. Does anyone want to join? And then we have like topic ones too. So we have a JavaScript one, a Python one. So I think the good thing about it is it's very, very flexible. And there's lots of ways to create your own little room, your own little space within it. But yeah, it can definitely get chaotic. One thing that's really struck me is the way you sort of position the overall, the Psychomino big picture is, as the most supportive community. Because I do think that one of the big challenges, obviously, as communities grow in scale is that, right? One thing we struggle with this on Stack Overflow, it, it is an incredibly generous place that still often can feel unwelcoming and unsupportive to new people, even though the vast majority of interactions are super positive because as things scale, things get weird. And as long as people aren't as welcoming as they should be, and you remember that stuff better. I'm interested, are there any other things you've done? Obviously, the structure has been set up and the, the what you offer and that it's here to mentor people and them share, but any of the specific things I'm just curious you guys have done to try to make it more supportive or engender a, a more continually supportive community, especially as you scaled? Yeah, I think there are a couple things. So for the chat specifically, every chat starts with rules. So we say at the very beginning, you have to be nice, you have to be supportive, you have to be honest. And what that has done is it's, you know, made people basically self-select into a community of people who has very, very specific values around being welcoming and inclusive and kind and nice. And so people who want to be mean kind of don't want to hang out with us because we're almost too lovey-dovey. Like when, <laughs> if you, if you compare my personal Twitter account to the Konami Twitter account, it's so, it's so, so funny because, you know, my personal one, like I, I curse it. I love cursing. It's one of my favorite things. You can right now if you want. No, I won't. You. I try I to be professional. Okay. Well, no, we'll lose our rating on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> But on the Konubi account, you know, oh my goodness, there's so many gifts all over the place. There's so many hearts and smiley faces. There's actually one of my favorite stories is, I think it was, was it last year or two years ago, I had this terrible, terrible pain in my right shoulder to the point where I was crying and I couldn't type. And the pain really hit home two minutes before the chat started. And I said to myself, like, I can't go anywhere. I have this Twitter chat that I've been promoting, you know, all week. I have to do it. And so I tell my husband, I say, okay you have to do the chat for me. And, you know, I write out all the questions and stuff ahead of time. So it's mostly just copy and paste. So he's in front of the computer, in front of the keyboard, and he's copying and pasting things. And he's responding to people. And I have to coach him on the really kind welcoming part. So I'm, you know, crying in pain. And I'm like, three exclamation points, three exclamation points. No, 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 no. more smileys, more smileys. Like, like the whole time, it's like, that's not, that gift isn't happy enough. You need a happier gift. You know, it's just, it's just me coaching him on how to be. And it really just, it really kind of showed me how much work I put into being your ultimate virtual cheerleader when it comes to code. And what that does is if that kind of stuff, you know, if it feels too emotional or too sissy or too touchy-feely, you're not going to want to hang out with me, which is great because I don't want to hang out with you. So I think doing little <laughs> things like that have really helped create a community that's made of people who really enjoy that over-the-top positivity. That's awesome. I think there's so many parts of that story I like. The first thing I thought was my absolute worst nightmare. Okay, after being buried alive, my absolute <laughs> worst nightmare is that my spouse is in a position where she has to type things that are supposed to be coming from me. And I'm dictating and it just starts with like, she's like, no, I wouldn't say it that way. And she's trying to say it better. And then eventually she'll just get annoyed and start typing things that she knows will embarrass or shame or upset me. <laughs> but it sounds like that was not you. And the other part, I love that moment where like, it's like you come home with like, you know, whether it's a date or a new friend you're excited about or whatever. And then you really like house is ridiculous in 92 ways that I grew up like there's that weird like the outsider's perspective you're like those yes. are a lot of heart emojis I guess well, yeah. that's what we do <laughs> yep yep exactly the other immediate reaction I had was I was imagining there's so many communities where like if you started with you have to be nice and you'd have to be honest there's 12 people being which do you want which <laughs> do you want pick one Yep. Well, I think that's fantastic and I think one of the things I was struck by is it's there's a huge power like you said and the declaration, like just trying to convey we are this, there's mm -hmm. a selection, but you can't teach everybody to behave, but at least you can teach people yeah. if you don't like behaving this way, this might not be for you, mm -hmm. which is super awesome. The thing for me, the real test of the, this is what we are, let's see if we can actually prove that was the conference. Because, you know, when I thought about Codeland, I speak at a ton of conferences a year and I had a really great conversation with a guy named Dwayne who works at PayPal. And 
when I first told him about Coldland over a year ago, he said, you need to have a very specific experience in mind. You have to have a specific user experience that you want to design for and be very, very crystal clear on what that's going to look like. And I put a lot of thought into that. And it made every decision around Codeland so much easier. And it really made this idea of creating the most supportive community come to life. And so, you know, when I thought about what are the things that really frustrate me about conferences and the fact that a lot of times it's a little too technical, it's a little too serious, it doesn't prioritize my feeling of wanting to belong. And I think really when we think about why we go to conferences, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a place to hang out full of people who are just like us, who have the same interests and values. And so how do you emphasize that at every single point? And so one of the things I was really excited about is at the very beginning of the conference, when you come into the space, just before you even get your swag bag or any of that stuff, you meet this guy named Pata, who is literally cheering you as you walk in. Every like person. He has every single person. He has this, he's the, the Codeland sign and he's breakdancing on the floor. He's like, yeah, welcome to Codeland. He's, you know, like rocking the sign back and forth. He's doing flips with it. So immediately when you walk into the space before you've seen the conference room or anything, you're thinking, oh my God, people, like they want me to be here. I am wanted. I am welcome. Well, Patasha does. <laughs> and it was really funny because he flew up from Miami just to help me with the conference. And he said, you know, what do you need? What do you want me to do? And I thought about, he's like the warmest, kindest, best personality I've ever met. And so I said to him, I have this role called the hallway greeter. If you're up for that, that'd be really cool. And I described it to him and I was like, if you feel like, I don't know if it's condescending or something, you don't have to do it, but I think you'd be really good at it. And he was like, done, nailed it. And he just made every person <laughs> just feel really, really happy. And then when the conference ended, all the volunteers, we had about 25 volunteers, they created a human runway and they cheered for you as you left. So as you're <laughs> exiting out, they're like, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Hope to see you tomorrow. Oh yeah, you're so awesome. Like all this, so you're literally wrapped in, you know, a, an eight hour period of just like love and kindness and positivity. And so it was, you know, things like that, that, you know, when I wrote the ideas down on paper, they didn't seem like they were going to be that changing. But when I got feedback, those were some of the things that people really noticed. They're like, wow, I really felt like I was supposed to be there and felt really loved. That's awesome. The book ending smart. It's, it's such a deliberate, like, I don't know, there's a real cleverness to sort of, um, one is starting and stopping, right? Just that's how people come into it. It's how they'll remember it more. But then there's also like, it sets a tone, like, how can you be cynical? Right after that <laughs> exactly. greeting, like it makes it hard for you to be like, yeah, exactly. I'm just looking for what's not that on topic about this thing yeah. or like, I don't know, it just reframes your whole kind of mood yep. and perspective. That's super cool. Yeah. The insight that you're really kind of looking for the human space more so than the technical content that really, really resonates with yes. me. Like that's yes. definitely what I get out of conferences when I go to them, when we do, we're mostly remote company, when we do our functions, it's really all about the people. And then there's some mm -hmm. interesting stuff going on in some side rooms, maybe, <laughs> but it's the people that's really key. Yep, exactly. And I feel like when I listen to tech talks, that's what's missing a lot. You know, it's either, <laughs> so when we did the reviews for the CFP, I had like a rubric and it was five questions that I wanted the selection committee to think about as they reviewed each talk. And two questions that I had is, you know, what do you want people to feel when you're done with your talk? Do you want them to feel inspired? Do you want them to feel, you know, like they need to really take action and they feel motivated to get stuff done? Do you want them to feel optimistic? Do you want them to feel a little bit introspective? Like, how do you want people to feel? And if you can't answer that question as a speaker, then you need to reevaluate, you know, the point of even speaking. And the second thing is, is this a blog post or is this a talk? Because I feel like most conference talks are much better served as just a five-point listicle. And so if you're going to stand up and give what I consider to be a performance for hundreds of people who've flown many miles to be there, who've taken off work, especially in our community, have taken off work, don't have companies sponsoring them, are paying out of pocket, you know, have to get daycare, you know, all that stuff, then you need to bring a human element that is different and much more interesting than just something I can read online. So, you know, I personally coach all the speakers. We had about 51 speakers total, and I probably spent about four hours average with each person, really trying to focus on that story, that narrative, and really trying to optimize for that emotional connection. Wait, did you say you personally spent four hours with each of them? Yes. You're like a one-woman wow. version of the TED training team, which has like a <laughs> billion people on it. That is astounding. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of work, but it was definitely worth it. Sounds like it. Wow. See, the other thing that struck me looking at the speakers, with the exception of that 
deadbeat nobody Scott Hanselman. I can't believe you had him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struck by, I'm trying to start a few with Scott Hanselman. He might, I don't know, he's been on the podcast and I feel like if I'm mean to him enough, he'll, he'll be engaged and maybe remember me and love me. <laughs> but what I'm struck by, it's always interesting and I'm not asking you to criticize them, but you hear a lot of people being like, well, we tried to get a more diverse panel, but we just couldn't <laughs> find anybody. And, you know, it's sort of like we put the effort in, but unfortunately the results didn't. It's all about the effort. And you try to be like, maybe it is about the effort. And Except I'm looking at your panel here, and what strikes me is it is an astoundingly diverse group of people. Like, I just wonder if there's anything you would share as far as, is it just because you had a lot of credibility as a welcoming community? Or like you've done an awful lot of things very deliberately. Were there things yeah. you did that helped you to attract sort of such a cool, diverse base of speakers? Yeah, both. So... I didn't want to have a quota system. Like I didn't want to do, sure. uh, we're going to be diverse and we're going to have this much. What I wanted is to organically create a lineup that just was diverse. And so I think there are a couple of things that helped make that happen. One, the fact that we have a reputation for being really kind and welcoming and inclusive. Yeah. You know, when we say things like we're really, you know, great for first time speakers, I think people really believe that and took that to heart. Yep. So I think that was that was huge. Just having that reputation was huge. Two, you know, as a, I hate starting sentences this way, as a person of color in tech. <laughs> if you could speak on behalf of all people of color in tech, I, that'd be you know, super just, helpful. Just this yeah. once, yeah, just okay. this one time, I'm going to give you the exclusive on that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very just personally motivated and excited to meet people who are different. And yep. different can mean race and gender, but it can also mean, you know, what part of the world you live in, what language you speak, what type of academic background you have. Like, I'm just really genuinely excited in meeting different types of people. I get really, really pumped when I hear somebody's story and it doesn't sound like a typical, I have a CS degree and I worked at a top 10 company. Like when I hear stories of, you know, the underdogs or just, you know, people who have a unique perspective, I'm personally interested and excited. And so ever since I got into tech, I think five years ago at this point, I've been accidentally collecting a network of people who are just really interesting and really different. And so by the time I decided I wanted to do a conference and I was looking for people, I already had a really, really awesome and diverse and inclusive network of friends, people I trust, people I like, people I follow on Twitter so when I started putting the word out, I wasn't starting from a homogenous group of friends, right? Like I wasn't starting yeah. from, you know, only the speakers I'd seen, you know, keynote conferences. I was starting from a group of people who were already very interesting. So I think that really helps. So, you know, if you have a conference and you look at your own network and it all looks like one type of person, it's probably going to be a lot harder for you. So I think the way you counter that is by having a programming committee that is super, super diverse. So when it came time to actually pick the talks, there were basically two runs. One was we had a selection committee of 10 people, and I picked these people based on, again, like certain diversity criteria. So I wanted to make sure it was people who some had a CS background, some didn't, some just got their first developer job, some had been coding for many, many years, some were actively developers, some were kind of related roles, because I wanted to have, you know, a, a wide range of perspectives. And so we started by having them do the first review of talks and rate them. And then I made the final cut. So if you personally don't feel like you have the most you know, diverse network, find people and put together a team that you think has unique perspectives. So I think that's super, super important. Um, so I think between like those few things, we we're able to really get an awesome lineup. That's awesome. So two final questions. This is so cool. So one is, I mean, it's obvious just from the kind of scope of people you're helping, the people that are choosing to use this as a place to find support, to like get, get help and so on. But have you had any of those kind of individual stories that really help bring home for you how you're making a difference that remind you like sort of the impact you're having? Sure. And it actually happened, I think a lot of them happened at Codeland. I found out that one this one guy uh, who'd been in the community for a while, I think at least over a year, and I've seen him you know, on Twitter. We've been chatting back and forth. I think we maybe even sent a couple emails. He ended up getting his first job at Codeland from one of our sponsors, and that was awesome. Just seeing someone who I'd been you know, personally invested in his growth because we've you know, been in contact and we've been supporting him for a while, seeing him like finally hit that goal of getting a job has been absolutely amazing. And that happened quite a bit. We had a few people get internships and apprenticeships from Codeland. I personally, we had a short-term apprenticeship program, I think a year ago. And the person that I worked with and paired with and helped me build the Codenewy platform, she ended up getting her first job 
directly as a result of that apprenticeship. And so to me, the ultimate goal is to get you where you want to go. And most people in our community want to be employed as developers. So anytime I feel like I've helped facilitate a connection or, you know, introduce someone to an opportunity they didn't know about before, those moments really, really hit home. That's fantastic. So my last important question for you, did you really wear a t-shirt to your wedding? I did. I, <laughs> I did. Ask me I the did. important questions, Jay. Yes, yes. Dude, this is the kind of human interest story that sucks me right in. <laughs> what kind of t-shirt? It was a white t-shirt. Was it like a special t-shirt? Or like just a v-neck or a crew neck? Did it have a logo on it or a a witty message? It was like a little shiny at the front. But other than that, it was just a white t-shirt. And my husband, my husband's such an idiot. So when he... (laughs) (laughs) I like stories like this too. (laughs) He totally, he ruined everything. So when, when, (laughs) when we went to Jamaica for his friend's wedding a year before we got married... He had this really great outfit. He had these like summer linen-ish type sure. pants and like a, a white button up. And I said, oh, this is great. You're going to wear that to our wedding. And so he forgot his outfit, basically. Like we <laughs> went to San Diego to get married. We there's a lot Jersey going on at a wedding. For- you gotta, you know, there's uh, a lot of moving parts. <laughs> especially when you elope and it's just the two of you. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> so we get there and it's just the two of us. And what actually happened was we already planned a vacation to go to San Diego. And at the time we thought like, how do we want to do this wedding thing? Do we want a big wedding, small wedding? And we saw that an average wedding in the U.S. costs $58,000, which to me is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And if you so, compare it, the, in fairness, if you compare it to like other things like burning a bag of money and lighting on a fire, it's <laughs> not that. It's yeah. not that. At least you get yeah. like some chicken out of it, right? And so, you're, so, <laughs> so you're off to San Diego. <laughs> yes. And so we said, I said, I, I'm going to take credit for this. I came up with the idea. He's not here to defend himself. You should take all of it. No. Oh, this is what I do on every podcast interview. <laughs> Perfect. And so I said, we already have this vacation plan to go to San Diego. Why don't we just get married while we're there? And so that's what happened. And so I said, okay, the only thing I want from you is I just want you to wear this linen white button up outfit. That's the only thing I'm going to ask. And he forgot both of those things. Wow. Yeah. So it's literally 30 minutes before. Who's the person that marries you? Is that the officiant? That person. Yeah. It was 30 minutes before he was supposed to meet her. She's on a deadline because she has to marry these other people like an hour after us. And he doesn't realize he doesn't have his outfit until, you know, we're about to meet her. And I just give him the death stare. And so, (laughs) and I'm like, you need to figure this out. This is your problem. And so we go to, we got married at Coronado Island, which is in San Diego. And on the island, there's this huge, really, really expensive hotel. I think it's called the Coronado Hotel. And so we go to their gift shop and we try to find Ooh, hotel similar. Hotel gift shop is oh, the worst. Terrible idea. $200 belt. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we find this, you know, really great comparable white shirt. Like you said, it's like $300. Yeah. And I'm like, the whole wedding is $300. We're not paying for a $300 shirt. It's a 100% so, increase in cost right there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So then we find a polo and I say, oh, this is good enough. Got a collar? It's still, yeah. it's still like $150. Still $150. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is just stupid. So we find the cheapest white shirt that has the little logo of the hotel Uh in the left Uh corner. And that's like $30. So we're like, screw it. Let's just, we'll be matching. We'll both just wear white t-shirts. So that's what he wore. And then I wore my white t-shirt and the wedding took six minutes. And that was like five minutes too long, but that's okay. (laughs) And it was great. But yeah, I'll send you a link. I actually have the wedding video up online. So I'll send you a link to that. That's That's awesome. We'll share it with all of our viewers. They can celebrate with you. Definitely. You know what true love is? Is it was entirely his fault. You sort of wanted to murder him. You did not have to wear a t-shirt yourself, but you did anyway. And that that is true love. I did. So anything you want to plug or point our listeners to other than obviously the Code Newbie community? If you haven't checked it out, go to www.code. You don't have to type the W. You know that. Go to codenewbie.org. And soon you can go to codelandconference.com, it sounds like, in the near future and register for next year. Mm -hmm. But for now, check out Code Newbie. Anything else? Any other causes, sites, things you want to recommend? Yeah, just generally check out the podcast. We try to focus on human stories and really focus on developer stories and how you got to where where people are so check out the code to be podcast as well awesome thank you again for joining us i hope you will stick around for the rest of our nonsensical show yeah definitely and we hope to stay in touch thank you so much all right that brings us if i am not mistaken to democracy in action as you know loyal listeners we are preparing a constitution for stack overflow and each week we bring you a proposal and you our listeners will decide on whether that proposal becomes part of the new constitution 
Last week's amendment brought to you by our very own party banana mall, Jason Punyon, also <laughs> at Jason Punyon on Twitter. When reading code, would you pronounce the parentheses in a function call as bananas? With us today, of course, is Jason Punyon's bananager, Kevin Montrose. <laughs> Kevin Montrose exhibits his anger very subtly, but bananager ranked very high on the Kevin Montrose anger yeah. scale when it was first suggested as a title. Um, but in any case, pro was, yes, I would call them bananas, and con was your default opinion, no, Jason Punyon is bananas. And with the result of last week's survey question, here is our news editor, Ilana Yitzaki. This is totally bananas, because <laughs> two weeks in a row, it is 50-50. Stop. 50-50, yeah. See, this is the problem with a young democracy like ours. Wait, this is good. 50% means it didn't pass, so we don't have to call them bananas. I feel like We're there's saved. a question about our system and <sighs> tie-breaking procedures that I'm concerned And more importantly, well, it, half I think of the people goes, said it, call them bananas. It goes to the Electoral College, and who knows what happens there. Well, the winner <sighs> the winner is Monica Chelio at Monica Chelio. Oh. Er, what? Con. Bananas. And she has the banana emojis. Parentheses, and she shows that. <laughs> One makes bread, the other makes lisp. Can't you tell the difference? Awesome. Uh, Monica is a longtime major network contributor who has been a moderator and leader on many, many, many of our sites. So congratulations, Monica. We are ecstatic to be sending you your very own Stack Overflow sticker, courtesy of the Stack Overflow podcast. Which brings us to this week's proposal from Timothy Burrell. That's at underscore T Burrell, B-I-R-R-E-L-L. His amendment proposal, when commenting code, comments should be in line instead of above the line. What do we think? Ooh. See, it depends on the line. It, it depends Ooh. what your definition of is. Is is that where you no, are? No, 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 no. So, like, if you're commenting over, like, a... Uh, section of a function that like accomplishes some task then you mm -hmm. want to do the comment on a line above the first line of all of that sure but if you're like initializing some variable in there and it's like okay this is weird right here then you might put the comment off to the right instead of oh so it has to do with the order in which you would read them is that what you're suggesting well, it's positioning the comment relative to like what's being commented on if you're commenting on like a Biggish thing, it's above, in my opinion. And if it's like a small detail, then it's in line. Well, first of all, we're now introducing a third option. Problematic. There's no third option. You got to no, no, no. go it's one got, way or the other. I feel like if other. I have to choose and say it's always got to be one or the other, I'm going to put it above. Yeah. Because that's just going to be easier to read and it doesn't jump all over the page. The problem with next to the code is that they don't line up and I like things to line up. That's yeah. going to be my argument. So I'm going. Pro, wait, which is pro, con, pro, pro is at the end of the line, con is above the line? So, pro is, when commenting code, comment should be in line. Okay, so pro, pro con, is, pro or con, you the must comment in line. Got so, it, yep. Yep, con. So, Ron, now setting aside the fact that in an inclusive community, we might let everyone choose <laughs> their own way to comment, if we had to mandate False. a system for consistency or just, you know, random strictness. What do you think? Hmm. <laughs> I would go with whatever that community decides is best. <sighs> That's what I would do. Diplomatic answer for the win. Cop, yes. cop out. <laughs> we'll only let you get away with it because you're the guest. <laughs> I have to reflect on my vote and I'll dance in at the last minute with a big speech to vote when no one knows what's going to happen because my initial reaction is I kind of like what Kevin said and then David translated, which is that I'd put them where you want the person to read them. Like you put it at the moment you want it to like come out if they were reading... All right, well, you, our listeners, will actually decide, because it doesn't matter what we think. Post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast with either pro or con and your explanation. Make it short but deadly, like a Smurf with a black belt and Krav Magra. The best explanation, whether on the winning what? side or the losing side, like a Smurf with Krav Magra. It's a common idiom. <sighs> will be read on next week's podcast and win a Stack Overflow sticker courtesy of the Stack Overflow podcast. You may also submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments using the same Tweety thing and the same tic-tac-toe board indicator, and one of them might be named <laughs> after you. That brings us to the end of our broken democratic process, and on to... <laughs> we have a topic. We have a non-news topic, don't we? We had an interesting meta post this week from our own Christina, our UX researcher. 
posted a question, or I should say a proposal. David, you want to summarize this or want me to? So this is a thing that we've been talking about for a while. The whole idea is sort of how do we help people ask better questions on Stack Overflow? We know for longtime users, this problem of sort of poorly formatted, poorly structured questions is a constant annoyance. And for new users, it is a super intimidating process where they don't know all the rules and they're worried, they're afraid that if they get it not exactly right on their first try, then it will be downvoted or hell banned or something bad will happen to them. So it's sort of how can we coach or mentor people through this process of asking their first question? So the specific proposal here, we've bounced around a bunch of different ideas. I believe the specific proposal we're talking about here is what if there was a sort of simplest idea that might possibly work? What if there was just a chat room for first-time question askers and they could drop in and ask for help from people who'd volunteered to sit in the chat room and answer new users' questions about their questions? Uh, answer their questions about answering questions. Not answer their question, answer their question about Asking questions. There it is. Somebody else talk. I don't know what I'm question. saying anymore. <laughs> question, 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 David? Uh, yeah, so... Exactly. Meta, meta questions proposed in this question on meta. Yes. So this is a topic we've actually... Has come up in, in different iterations and different forms a number of times. I believe our own John Erickson on the community team put out a proposal that was sort of similar. Same, same concept, at least. Finding ways to help individuals here. Interesting background here a little bit, too. So Christina who may not happen to have a UX researcher, you should get one. She's awesome. It's been fantastic. But you can't have ours. No, no, no. <laughs> she's she's actually terrible. She just helped us. Uh, no, she's great. But you can't hire her because she's doing good work here. In any case, what she had been working on is sort of a lot of this work around sort of how, how do we help with this problem, this area? And some of this is based on some cool work. I think we chatted once before. Uh, there's a researcher named, I think it's Danae Ford. I hope I'm saying it right, at NCSU. And she did a couple of studies, I think, using her data, but one was looking at gender-based skew. So what are the challenges for new users and how do they affect women in some cases more than men or which ones affect men more than women? Are there certain challenges that many developers face trying to use Stack Overflow but skew one way? And some interesting stuff came out. She made some recommendations. Anyway, Christina talked to her, looked at a lot of stuff. And what's always interesting to me about this is it helps, I think, to dig into like can these problems be solved with guidance? So whether this is the right kind of guidance and the right ultimate solution, I think there's a lot of people who the community can sometimes be like, well, look, they're never going to get the questions right. And there's other people who are always like too afraid to do it. And I think, I don't know if this actually scales, right? We get 8,000 questions a day. I think more than half are from new people. I'm not sure those people, even if they all wanted help, could get it in a chat room. But if that works, I think it helps to inform, like, how do we figure out what does scale and what to build in here? So I'm excited about it. The community has been pretty supportive. A lot of thoughts, a lot of feedback. I seem to really like it. It's got 409 pretty much. I'd say at least probably four or five to one upvotes to downvotes. Well, I think there's some legitimate questions and concerns from the community. You know, will this work? The key here is that it's an experiment. And it's hard to see how this is actively harmful to anything. And so it's probably worth a shot. And there's legitimate questions around, you know, Will users understand? Will this just become a place where they think, oh, this person is going to help me with my programming problem instead of help me ask a question about my programming problem and things like that. But well, let's try it and see. Do you feel like new people understand that asking a good question is hard? Like, do they even recognize that this is a problem? Um, yes. Well, some, some. some. One thing I would say, both from these studies, and we've talked to a lot of developers. There's a thing I did when I first started here. I asked every developer I met, in the real world, like the same bunch of questions. And it kind of matched what we've seen in the studies. A lot of developers who say they had a question they might have asked but didn't, intimidation was a factor. They were afraid, not that everyone's meaning, you get a little bit of that, but it's more like I was afraid I'd do it wrong or I was afraid I didn't know how to do it right or I was afraid I'd get told I formatted it incorrectly. There's definitely a lot of that in some people. People would also point out, well, no, some people, the problem is they just come and they're like, code no worky, right? <laughs> you, you know, or, no. or, right, or fix yes. my homework. And so there's certainly a spectrum, but for me, the actual part, and so some of the responses here to David's point, there's some stuff people are saying, well, what we've learned already is people are just going to ask these people questions because that's what they're going to want to do and they don't want to follow the rules. And actually, uh, John Skeet even said, like, I've got this post on how to ask a great question. It starts with, like, this post is not for you to ask me to help with your code, to help you learn how to ask. And people still do it. And I'm sure he's right. The thing I'd highlight, though, is, like, everyone remembers that we're actually not interested in fixing everybody because they can all be, right? The point is there's a lot of people out there who are totally well-meaning and just are here to learn and don't know all the rules and don't know how to do it or how to come at it. 
if we can figure out how to help the people that have a good shot at asking the right questions or even have the right questions, that's where I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the goal is not to introduce the perfect solution. The goal is to move in the direction of a better world. It's like if we convert a meaningful number of users who are perfectly capable but intimidated to asking good questions, that's fine even if some number come in and ask, just try and get their question answered in chat, say that's not what it's for, nothing's been harmed. I think you can use these as like, it's like a super cheap way to learn and then figure out what to, like, so imagine for argument's sake, we see like a bunch of people come in and some don't get anywhere, but a bunch of them then get help and then go on to ask great questions. And then we can sort of look at those because now we've got this list of this person went to the chat room and then ultimately asked a question. That question was successful. It wasn't closed, got up photo, whatever. And we start to see like, oh, what do they have in common or what happened? And I'm making it up. But one thing we learn is like, if you look at those people, like a third or a half of those people mostly got the advice, nope, put in the right amount of code. Mm. Put in this code. Mm. So it didn't even take that much. Well, I'm making it up. Like that's one mm. of the things we do know. Like one of the things a good question needs is like the smallest, you know, reproducible amount of code. But whatever it is that kind of rises up there, what you could say is like, oh, interesting. Like the area with the most opportunity for helping people who can totally be helped is a thing. And now all of a sudden we can say, maybe we should emphasize that. Like maybe the first screen for new people just says paste your code here. Try and right. do it this yeah, way. Exactly. And there's a button that says, I want to skip it, even though I know it'll really hurt my question. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm picking one. But I think a lot of people react like, this room will go a little wrong or this room can't scale. If we can learn where the opportunity is, you can build something into the kind of the more core interface, I feel like. So kind of felt of late that the it can't scale argument is okay. It's like that assumes success. That assumes that our biggest problem yeah, that's is... True that too many people are trying to get help and we're not helping them quickly enough. Too much learning happens. Yeah, like that is one of those, it's a nice way to offer a critique that cannot really be disproved. Right. And presumes you're in a better world than most of the other ways it could go wrong. So if you have opinions, feel free to jump on, just search for Stack Overflow Mentorship Research Project. There's a great discussion going on the conversation's actually great. A lot of support, a lot of questions, a lot of suggestions. One person who said that they didn't like this was because they actually like a thing where people get to walk through actions and do them instead, that that's a better way mm. to teach people. And I think they're right. I'd like to do that too. But anyway, I'd love to get folks' input, so hop on. Yeah, we're certainly not lacking for ideas in here, but we have to actually choose to do some of them. <laughs> so this is the first one. Remember, doing nothing is a choice too. All right, with that, I think that brings us to our news item for the day. The Girl Scouts may soon become as well-known for prepping girls for careers in robotics and software coding as it is for its cookies. The organization is expanding its STEM program. 1.8 million scouts will be able to earn badges in robotics, coding, engineering, and cybersecurity. The Girl Scouts is the same as Star Wars, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm just hoping Jen Schiffer is listening right now, but she's probably not. My only problem with that announcement is cyber. <laughs> <laughs> But the, by the time the girls are older, it'll probably be back in again at the right time. Cyber. Cyber. Only people who ironically use cyber government. So I think this is cool, obviously. The more... Yeah, let, wait, let's not say all negative things. This is awesome. No, no yeah. This, you know, is, this like, is awesome. Unambiguously great. This is like, get a chance to get the hooks in young. <laughs> One way to <laughs> that makes it sound a little weird, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Sounds like you're accidentally collecting humans, which is how Saran explained her weird closet full of bodies earlier. Get their leg caught in the bear <laughs> trap while they're still too small to escape. Everybody like catches on to like a passion or something. And the thing is, you have to be exposed to it at some yeah. point in time. Yes. And, and the, the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better, because that gives you more time to actually pursue it, not just have it be a like thing I wish I had like known about. Like it's mm -hmm. it's the whole argument for like the arts and schools is it the whole argument yes. anyway yes it is <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing that struck me this is not a negative i agree 100 percent. you never want to challenge progress with wish the progress happened sooner is randomly as it happens i was going through a boy scout manual at a family friend's house intrigued by how it all worked and very gamified and cool it's a lot like our system it just creates these artificial things you're trying to do all the time 
is the Boy Scout one had a lot of stuff like this a couple of years ago. I don't know how far back it goes. Is like they had like making video games, things along those lines. So I guess the leveling is good. It's just, it's interesting. Even in this space, and I guess they're separate orgs. They just probably aren't coordinated. It's not like somebody deliberately put it in one and not the other. And so is this all live? Is it happening now, Alana? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. That's cool. So join the Girl Scouts and learn to code, basically. That's the new. It makes me 50% more likely to enroll my daughter in Girl Scouts one day. Oh, you ended that sentence. I was like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say for me to enroll in, in Girl Scouts. Yeah, I was like, I don't know that no, much. No, no, it's about <laughs> Girl Scouts. It's too late for me. I don't think you're okay. welcome. Okay, how do these badges things actually work? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know this. I wasn't born in this country, so I don't really. So, so Jay being that he went to the Girl Scouts. I, so I'm not an expert. <laughs> so I, I was not a scout. I'm not an expert in scouts. I don't have children. My children are young now. But as it happens, I asked a billion questions about this like a little while back. Because I was talking to somebody who was in it, and I was intrigued. So the way it works, essentially, is there's like all of... It's like a video game, almost, except out in the real world with weird outfits and twigs. So it's like a game. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's more like a video game, because there's all these arbitrary goals, which is just like a game. Damn yep. it, Kevin! That's how a game works. <laughs> there's all these, like, this huge list of things you can do, and like there's these areas, like technology, or like, I don't know, trail finding, or mm-hmm. killing stuff. But within them, there's these sub-things like... This is a terrible, terrible simile, but they have like it's, one is you have to build a video game and it explains you have to build a video game. There's this site you can go to and it has it's like a Roblox like, you know, it's simple. And there's these other things where it's like you have to spend six hours outdoors hiking with an mm-hmm. adult and you Wait, have that's to part of building a video game. No, no, that's a different one. Like on the hiking, <laughs> there's a hiking one and there's like I've a shooting build a video one game while I'm hiking three. outdoors. But, this sounds really complicated. And they have multiple levels and each one has a thing you have to do. And most have an artifact that's created, which is like science. It's just, you have to write up that you did it, you okay. know, with the grown up. Sometimes at the output, you have to have like a drawing or a game or something. And then you bring those to, I think the Scoutmaster actually is like the arbiter of badge award thing. Is that really the name, Scoutmaster? Yeah, they're called Scoutmaster. I want to be so. a Scoutmaster. Yeah, Scoutmaster. Awesome. <laughs> Pretty good title. Put that in your business card. Yeah, I'm going to oh, add that's... that to my title. If, uh, Joel's not here, so I'm now a Scoutmaster. I just redid your uh, business cards. So oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wait, that means it's too late to put well, Scoutmaster on it. I swear to God, if this one says Punion again, I'm quitting. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that word on my title again. He's the VP Scoutmaster of Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, but it creates like, there's all these, and there's levels and you get enough badges and hit enough things and you bump to another level. And so it's, it's very much a system, a lot like sort of stack overflow. And then one day you become an Eagle Scout. That's the max level, right? Yes. Well, that's. And that you have to do some like legit major community service type project, like dozens of hours and. Eagle Scout's big. This is awesome though. Apparently they start teaching kindergartners what robots are and what engineering jobs are. So they start in kindergarten. Kindergartners, no. robots are our friends. <laughs> All hail the robot overlords. We started with Girl Scouts and jumped right to the male equivalent and talked mostly about that. Do, we know, <laughs> like, do Girl Scouts have an Eagle Scout equivalent? I don't know. I'm sure equal. they have a rank, but I don't know. I wasn't a Girl Scout. I was a Rainbow Girl. Googling it right now. What is that? That's like Daughters of Masons. It's a very different. So the unlike Girl America's a wholesome, award. you're more like gold a cult, award is their a cult yeah, family member. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so you have to kill like it's another daughter of a Mason to rise up in the organization or yeah, something? Yeah, it's like Highlander. That okay. sounds awesome. So okay. I should cool. never have said anything because now I'm in danger. Cool. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like now we've been brought into your dangerous world of weird. They make walls? Is that what they do? How did that become a cult? That's a weird. Okay. In any case, you've gone and wasted yet another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow Podcast number 114, recorded Thursday, July 27th, 2017 at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York City. This podcast has been brought to you by Stack Overflow Jobs. Putting developers first means we never hire Russian hackers to break into your contacts so we can add them to your professional network. We're not saying the competition necessarily does that, but they totally do. And... The English language, we made it right here in America, but we open sourced it so our English friends can use it and remix it as they see fit. But we do wish they'd try harder to get the accent right. Our audio engineer is Carlos Hernandez. Audio editor is David Greenlee. Technology concierge is Michael Rosa. Producer is Jess Pardue. Executive producer is Caitlin Pike. For Duran Yadbarak, David Fullerton, Alana Yatsaki, and Joel Spolsky's award-winning Ascot Collection, I'm your host, Jay Hanlon. Have an entirely tragedy-free day. Goodbye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.
every tech conference should have like that cheerleader. Yeah. Front. Like, why don't awesome. more have that? Just saying, like, hey guys, welcome to this thing. Everything. I feel. I want that at my <laughs> job every day. Yeah. And to be clear, my job is in my own home. I won't. But when I walk <laughs> in my office, I want there to be someone be standing amazing. there cheering for me. You just hire someone to stand at the door and just cheer you. Actually, there's time. a window That's right in front of me. They could all. like be standing right out in front of my yeah. window cheering. Go, David, go. You say that, David, but if you got up and you kind of got out of bed and you stumble out in your bathrobe and I'm there in your living room being like, David, good morning, go, go, you're going to kill it today. You would freak I mean, the to F be out. Clear, I don't want it. I don't want it to be you. That would be <laughs> terrifying. What, what, what do you, why would you say that? <laughs> David, I'm so going to send cool. Punyon to your house. Uh, I would watch a TV show where Jason Punyon is someone's imaginary or non-imaginary inspirational guide through life, like running <laughs> oh around next gosh. to them. He would make such a great imaginary friend in a video or something. And it's, it wouldn't oh, be funny because he'd yeah. be so bad at it. He'd just be someone probably good at it. Like, I feel like he there would, would be, be a good motivator where for he just me. He just is sitting on a yeah. chair in the background scowling. <laughs> but only when scowling is the motivation you need.